Our theme today is being available, and when you're available to the Lord, you may find yourself sharing your life story, sharing what God has done in your life with the checker at Fred Meyer. You might find yourself on a plane to Nocatee, Alaska. You might find yourself saying yes to things you never imagined you'd say yes to, no to things you never imagined you'd say no to. You might discover that your annoying neighbors are there for a reason, and the things that they do to annoy you are actually tools the Lord is using to build a bridge from their life to your life so that the gospel can cross over. You never know where it's going to take you when you make yourself available to the Lord. When I think about availability, I tend to think about cell phone reception. And these cell phones are fantastic tools, right? In the morning, in the afternoon, at night, I'm available because I have a cell phone. If I'm in town, if I'm out of town, if we're at the ocean, if we're up in Portland, we're available because we have a cell phone. And when you lose cell phone reception, that's when the panic starts. For some of us, some of you, that's when the joy starts. But that's when the panic starts, especially if you're driving somewhere and you lose cell phone reception and you don't know where you're going, right? Some of you know that there's a do not disturb button on your cell phones. And if you turn that do not disturb button on, you don't get the phone call. You can have the phone in your pocket. You can be looking at it and you don't see the phone call. You don't get the message. And so if the do not disturb button is on my phone and Nicole calls because something's happening at home, maybe a kid needs to be disciplined, and she wants me to come home and do that, I'm not going to get that message. I'm not going to be able to help. If there's a need, if there's something that I could be useful for, I'm not going to hear that message. Similarly, if someone I care about uh, wants to call just to talk or has something to share with me, I'm not going to get that message if the do not disturb button is on. Some of you have accidentally turned your do not disturb buttons on and you've wondered why isn't anyone calling? And maybe a day goes by, maybe a week goes by and you think, what have I done? Why have I, what have I done to offend some of the people that I care about because nobody's calling? You, all you get is radio silence. And so as we move into this topic, this theme of how do we be available for the Lord to work in and through our lives? I want to just kind of gently prod us that some of us might have the spiritual do not disturb button on in our lives, and we're getting nothing. And it sounds like nobody's calling. It sounds like the Lord's not interested. It sounds like he's chosen to work through other people and not us. We're sitting on the spiritual bench hoping the coach is going to call our name, but the coach never calls our name. We never hear Some of you feel like the Lord has never directed you to be a part of someone's life in a spiritually significant way. Some of you would say, I rarely, if ever, have a sense of leading that God is orchestrating relationships and circumstances for something bigger than what I see. If that's you, I just want to encourage you to consider that maybe the spiritually do not disturb button is on in your life. And maybe the Lord is calling and calling and calling. And because of the hardening of our hearts, because of the unwillingness to yield, the unwillingness to listen, the unwillingness to hear, all we get is radio silence. Open up to chapter Luke 10. Uh, Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, we're going to read about Jesus calling his followers to be available for his sending. I want you to see what they do, how they respond, and how he's faithful to them. What they do, how they respond, and how he's faithful to to them. Luke chapter 10. We'll read the first 12 verses together. It says this, starting in verse 1. It says, After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, every, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. Verse 2, And he said to them, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, 
to send out laborers into the harvest, go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Not a great sales pitch, actually. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Carry no money, bag no knapsack, no sandals, and greet no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near, and I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom and for that town. If you were to backtrack, read Luke 9, you would read about Jesus sending the 12 apostles out, right? These are the uh, PhD candidates in training. These are the people Jesus has invested the most in, and he sends out the 12. And now in chapter 10, we see Jesus sending out 72. These are the interns. These are the freshmen. These are the underclassmen, the understudy. And Jesus pairs them up and sends them out to the places that he's going to go. And one of the things that we just see at, at first glance in this text, from 9 and 10, from Luke 9 and Luke 10, whether you're the 12 or you're the 72, or whether you're us today, Jesus' work in and through our lives is never, 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 never limited to the classroom. It's never just limited to cerebral knowledge or just understanding what his word says. Faith 101, Faith 201, Faith 301, Faith 401, those are lecture lab formats, right? You can't skip the lab and think that you'll have mastery over the subject. You can't skip the lab and think you'll know the content. Faith is a lecture lab format. It includes instruction, but it's mastered in real life. It's mastered in obedience. It's mastered in real crisis. It's mastered in our workplaces. It's mastered in our home. It creates an incredibly high value on what happens Monday through Saturday. Sometimes for us, what happens on Sunday is our spiritual high point of the week. And when we understand the way that God works, when we understand the sending out that is just embedded throughout the text places an incredibly high value on what happens Monday through Saturday in your homes, in your places of work, with your kids, with your parents, with your siblings, in your sphere of influence. Because faith is a lecture lab. It is taught in real life. It is taught in obedience. Jesus says, go out. If someone receives you in town, stay there, heal the sick, and invite them into the kingdom of God. If they don't receive you, if they're not interested, if they turn you away, shake the dust off your sandals and continue on to the next place. It's not their job to beat these people over the head with the Bible until they have been beaten into submission or until they've been beaten into uh, receiving the instruction. Jesus says, if they don't receive you, go on your way. The first thing that I want us to see from uh, this text, from these 12 verses, is in verse 1 and 2, is just simply that the call to be available, the call to be available for Jesus' sending is a call that is put on all of our lives. Jesus, in Matthew 28, 
we read that familiar text where he says, go to all nations, right? Go to make disciples of all nations. And it's interesting that Jesus' target is all nations, and Jesus means, Jesus' tools are all true followers of Christ. So his target is all nations. His means, his tools, the way to get to all nations is through all true followers of Christ, of which that includes us. Now, the enemy is going to tell you all the reasons you're not qualified to be part of Jesus' work. The enemy is going to remind you of all the things that you don't know. Young earth, old earth. How many days was creation? Uh, explain Jesus, fully man, fully God. Explain God, three in one. Anything that gets a little fuzzy or you have a hard time putting into clear, concrete words, the enemy is going to say, you don't know enough to be useful. You're just going to mess up. You're just going to speak unclearly, and you're going to keep people out of the kingdom of God, not help them into it. The enemy is going to bring to light all of your faults and all of your failures and remind you of what you did last week, remind you what, how you spoke to your coworker the other day, remind you of the sin in your heart. And the enemy is going to say, you're not qualified. Do you really want people looking at your life? That's not going to help them see Jesus. The enemy is going to bombard us with our failures to keep us still, to keep us stagnant, to keep us from opting in to Jesus' plan for our lives. And we've got to just see that when Christ is in us, when Christ is in us, we're never on the sidelines. Danny mentioned football starting. Some of us are very excited for that. Did you know that there's about 17 million people that will watch football live in the stadiums this year? Approximately 17 million tickets will be sold. And Google the average ticket price if you want to have fun. But there will be about 17 million tickets sold this year, and there's about 1,800 players playing. And that includes the practice squad. That means that 17 million people plus the TV viewership are watching 1,800 people, right? Because professional football for most of us is a spectator sport. Following Jesus is not a spectator sport. It's not something that we just watch other people do or, or read about on the news, when Christ is in us, we're never on the sidelines. The call to be available is a call to all of us. So the question we might ask is, how do we play our part? Especially if we don't have a habit or a rhythm or a pattern of hearing the Lord direct us and then responding to that directing and seeing him work with power. Because that, that creates a sense of doubt in us when that's not part of our regular rhythm of life. How do we play our part? Some of us, it's just slowing down and creating margin. Some of us are so busy that if the Lord wanted to actually do something in and through our lives, he'd have to give you like three months advance notice to try to get a meeting in just to present an idea of something that he might have for you. And even then, you might give him three or four minutes and say, all right, that's enough. I've got to go on to the next thing. Some of us need to create margin in our time, margin in our commitments, margin financially anticipating that as we set aside time and resources for the Lord, he's going to direct where those time, where that time and where those resources are intended to go. For some of us, it means saying no to things, even to good things, even to things that someone here at church might ask you to do if that's not what God has put on your heart. Sometimes, especially in a church context, we think, well, the church asked, I must say yes. And some of us need to, to learn to say no to good things, to be attentive to God things. Some of us, on the other hand, need to be open to things we're very uncomfortable with. Some of us need to be open to things that we've maybe said, I would never. I would never go to Alaska. 
I would never get on a ferry out in the ocean. I would never get on a small plane. Some of you are like, yep, I'm out. Tell me more about Guatemala. Some of us need to be open to things that we may at one point have said, I'd never do. For some, it means surrounding ourselves with other people who are passionately seeking the Lord and seeing him work. You know, with our kids, we understand that our kids are going to look like their lives, their character in some part is going to look like the friends that they surround themselves with. And as adults, sometimes we seem to forget that and not surround ourselves with other people who are pursuing Jesus and his will for their lives because we're going to be emboldened when we see other people do that. We're going to be willing to take risks when we see other people around us regularly taking risks. We're going to trust that God will meet us when we take that risk, when we see him meet other people who are taking that risk. Uh, Much of our character, much of our faith, much of the habits and the rhythms uh, in our life mirror in many ways the people that we have surrounded ourselves with. Jesus uses the word harvest. Some of us need to just go out into the vineyards where there's a harvest and hold a bucket and get ready. Right? Jesus likens this to harvest. He says, pray to the Lord of the harvest in verse 2. Pray to the Lord of the harvest because there's a whole bunch of ripe fruit and there's not enough people to pick. And the interesting thing about picking is you don't need a PhD to go out into the field and pick right? You don't have to necessarily be a certain age. You don't have to have five years work experience to go out and pick. You mostly just need legs and arms and need to be willing to work hard. You just need to be willing to go out there with a bucket and pick the right fruit. One of the things that is overwhelming to me personally, and I think overwhelming often to us, is we think about going out and picking, going out and being attentive to the harvest that the Lord has brought about and doing our part to help that be harvested, to help people see Jesus, is this enormous responsibility we put on ourselves. That if someone's going to follow Jesus, it's going to be because I have so finely tuned my presentation. I have so mastered and memorized all of the important scriptures that have become so able to answer the most difficult questions with clarity. It's never going to be about our ability to change someone's mind. It's always going to be about God's ability, God's power to change someone's heart. And as we trust that he's at work, we understand that what's needed of us is to share and to show Christ, to go out with that bucket and stand and wait for the ripe fruit. Uh, Second, the call to be available is going to stretch our faith. The call to be available, first, is for all of us. Second, the call to be be available, verses 3 and 4, is going to stretch our faith. Look at verses 3 and 4 one more time. Jesus says, Go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. Simply, it's dangerous. Carry no money bag, no knapsack, no sandal. Don't make preparations. The going is more important than getting a backpack with everything that you could possibly need. And one of the neat things we see in this text is that supernatural outcomes are the product of supernatural means. And so if the Lord is going to call you to do something, it's probably going to appear to you in some way, shape, or form unwise, unsafe, uncomfortable. And you're going to say, well, maybe, Lord, I'd be willing to do that if you answer these 10 needs in advance of me going and jesus sends out the 72 and says don't take what you need trust me for what you need don't take what you think might be 
protective. Don't take what you think might be something that once you get there would be useful. Trust me for what's useful. Trust me to protect you. Trust me for what you need. That is the supernatural means that moves us to seeing supernatural outcomes where even the going, even the process of saying yes, even the process of following requires dependence. Some of you have been asked to do something by the Lord and you've got 10 great reasons why you shouldn't. They're pragmatic. They make sense. You can defend every one of them. Jesus tells them, you're going to go out. You're kind of like sheep with wolves, which means you don't stand a chance and don't take any money. Right? And the underlying tone is, I've got this. I've got this. Many of us, in the name of wisdom and comfort, are pain averse, difficulty averse, conflict averse, and unknowingly, we've become faith averse. And so I would encourage you that one of the things that we hope happens through a series like this, or just engaging with his word, engaging with the Lord, is that more and more and more, we see things the way the Lord does. More and more and more, we don't see opportunities obstacles we see opportunities more and more and more we see less what we think we can do in our strength and more a confidence and empowering of trusting that if god is leading me god's doing the work god's changing hearts i I just need to go i just need to respond i just need to say yes god is not in the business of doing uh, great things through great people Right? God is not in the business of doing great things through great people so that great people can write great books and those great books can sell a lot of copies and make that great person a great name. Right? God is in the business of doing great things through weak people because when weak people do great things with his power, their weak lives point to a great God. Some of us feel so weak and we just have to see that that is the posture of someone who is used by the Lord. That is the posture of someone who appropriately recognizes that there is a supernatural enemy that is far more powerful than I am, but that I have a supernatural advocate, an all-powerful advocate in God the Father, sending, calling, and going with me. God is in the business of doing great things through weak people. And those weak lives, doing great things, point to a great God. The third thing that we see here in the text is the call to be available requires us to let go of control. And so we have to let go of control if we're going to walk into something scary, like a sheep in the midst of wolves. We're going to have to let go of control if we're going to go on a journey and not have everything that we need for that journey in the back of our car before we depart. Or maybe the full itinerary before we depart. Maybe a clear explanation of what God's doing and where he's going to point us and what he's going to do before we departed. It requires that we're going to have to let go of control. Verses 5 through 8 say this. It says, whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest upon him. But if not, it will return to you and remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide for the laborer deserves his wages. It says, do not go from the house. Whenever you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you. This person of peace idea is really fascinating. The idea that the Lord sends us, the Lord is sending the 72, Jesus is sending the 72, and he's saying, if you're received, stay there, heal the sick, and present the kingdom of God. If they reject you, move on to the next place. And so, as we consider this idea of the person of peace, a question that we've got to ask ourselves is, are we, have we developed the tools, the skills, the tuning to see the person of peace in our own lives? 
have we developed the ability to say, God, where are you at work and how do I jump in? Do we go about our day with this posture of, Lord, I'm assuming you're not wanting to waste today. I'm assuming that you have divine appointments for me today. I'm assuming you want to do something in my heart and life today and developing the tuning to see those persons of peace in our homes, in our places of work as we're coming, as we're going, on the weekend, during the weekdays, believing that God wants to leverage all of our relationships and circumstances for his glory and our highest good. And so our posture as faithful responders, our posture of people wanting to be available is not, this is what I want to do. God, where are you at work? God, what are you doing? You see, if I get to dictate the terms, if I get to dictate who I go to, if I get to dictate who I spend time with, I'm going to choose a lot of people just like me. That's the easiest way uh, that I know. People that like the same things. People that have kind of the same schedule. Maybe people that have kids about the same age. That's, that's, that's easy because then the kids play together. When he dictates the terms, uh, i got to let go of my control. It might mean I'm talking to people that I can't relate to or have a hard time relating to. It might talk, mean that I'm talking to people that I just don't want to talk to. One of the interesting things with this harvest idea is the Lord planted the trees, right? The Lord cultivates the soil. The Lord sprays the bug spray on the trees. He knows where the ripe fruit are. All I know is what's in front of me. All I know is what I can see on a person's face. All I know is what I hear from what someone says, and usually I misinterpret that. If he planted the trees, cultivated the soil, he knows where the ripe fruit is. I don't. How can we be attentive to the Spirit's leading? How can we develop a posture that looks for this person of peace? Uh, part of it is just being honest with ourselves. Like if we're so distant from the Lord, it's really hard to imagine that we're going to hear his still, small voice. It's kind of like not going to practice all season and then showing up at the end and expecting to be in the game. For some of us, it's just listen. Everybody loves to talk about themselves. If you have a hard time interacting with people, everyone loves to talk about themselves. So ask someone a question about what's going on in their life, in their week, with their family. It won't take long to hear that something might not be right. It won't take long to hear that some things are going well and some things are not. It won't take long to see an opportunity to speak truth, to speak Jesus, into their circumstances. Listen. For some of us, if we could just listen to people, we'd hear the voice of the Lord. Uh, For some, it's speak up. One of the interesting things about the 72 is they go out and they're supposed to announce their presence and knock on a door and say, hey, here's what I'm here for. And they're either going to be responded favorably to or, or negatively to. But they're sent out and they're supposed to speak up. So a question I might ask is, does anyone know that you're a follower of Christ? Does anyone know what you're reading in Scripture? Does anyone know what God is doing in your life as you share those things, hopefully in reasonably natural ways? Some are going to look at you and think, wow, weirdo. I thought that person was weird. Now it's confirmed. Um, That's okay. Some where the Lord is working are going to be drawn in. Some of those conversations are going to end awkwardly, and you're sort of going to, metaphorically shake your sandals off. 
Does anyone know that you're a follower of Christ? Does anyone know what you're reading? Does anyone know what God is doing in your heart and life? Uh, Last is just simply the call to open our eyes. Sometimes we think that to be available to the Lord means yes to Guatemala. And that might be true for you. Doug would be thrilled who leads the trip if it meant for everyone yes to Guatemala. But it's not for all of us. Sometimes we think we've got to make a big step, a big move, a big new direction, costly, expensive, sacrificial. For some of us, it's just opening our eyes to the opportunities that exist around us. Probably for many of us, the opportunities that exist around us are people right now that we're in some sort of conflict with, that in some way, shape, or form are just really annoying, uh, oppressive, (laughs) bothering to us in some particular way. That just usually seems to be how God works. What's your sphere of influence? What's your hobby? What do you do on the weekends? What do you love to do? What do you daydream about? Where do you work? Who lives next to you? For some of us, it's just opening our eyes to what is already around us. Finally, the call to be available leads us to not only let go of control, but to also entrust the outcome to the Lord. Verses 9 through 12 say, Heal the sick and say to them, The kingdom of of God has come near. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into the streets and say, even the dust on our t- of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. And then finally, verse 12, I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day. It's interesting that Jesus says, as you, 72, go into these towns and to these villages, you bring the kingdom of God near to the people you share with. You bring the kingdom of God near to these people. It goes with you. It's more accessible. It's closer in proximity when you go out into these towns. That verse 12 that it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for this town is a sobering verse. It reminds us of the shortness of life and the incredible infinite nature of of heaven and hell, of eternity. It gives us a sense of urgency. It gives us a wartime uh, mentality where everything that we have is leveraged for our cause. It also creates a sense of pause in our own hearts. Have we responded ourselves to the call of Jesus in our lives? It's clear for these people, if they reject God's messengers, they've rejected God. It's it's pretty cut and dry. Sometimes it's a little bit more gray for us because many of us have been in church for a long time doing good things, thinking that makes us in good standing with God. And so the message, the kingdom of God that they're going to proclaim to these self-righteous people, to these religious people, is that you're separated from God because of your sin. You're not just in debt. Uh, You're not just running short on spiritual funds. You're spiritually bankrupt and you need to be rescued, not just a a recipient of a loan. And that Jesus is that rescuer. That his death on a cross, him rising again is the righteousness, is the payment that we need applied to our spiritual accounts. So as we even just think of this sobering verse 12, that it will be more bearable for Sodom on that day than these towns who reject 
God's messengers. I would ask you, if you're someone who's maybe new here and you're pretty thrilled with yourself because you're at church, that's a big deal. That's a big step in the right direction. Uh, But a bigger step and a more important step is repenting of our sin and following Jesus. If you're someone who's maybe been in church for a very, very long time and have done a lot of good things and your good things have been designed to make a case, you're constantly building a case, thinking, well, when I die, God's going to look at my body of work and say, yeah, there was a few hiccups, you stumbled and fell a few times, but overall you get an A for effort. The sobering reminder of verse 12 is that we all need to respond to Jesus' call. We all need to repent and follow him. It's more than just doing good things and hoping that makes us good with God. It's more than trying to build a body of work and hoping that we'll get an A for effort. And so if you're here this morning and you're in that boat and you say, I don't know where I would spend eternity. I don't know if I'm good with God. I not sure. That would be something I would say afterwards. Let's talk about if you came with someone, if there's someone here you trust, let's talk about that because you don't have to leave the same way that you came in. You don't have to leave the same way that you came in. When the 72 get back, they come back and, and they're reporting to Jesus all the things that have happened. And they're reporting these incredible spiritual victories, talking about miracles, talking about overcoming in tangible ways the power of the enemy. And in verse 20 of the same chapter, Jesus says this, after hearing the things that they're celebrating, verse 20, he says, Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you. In other words, don't rejoice simply that these great things have happened. He says, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Is your name written in heaven? Do you know for sure? As we wrap up this morning, I want to bring our focus back to this idea of, of being available and that we've presented some unique ways to be available over the last four or five weeks. Next week actually is going to be one of my favorites. We're going to hear from uh, someone who works at DHS. We're going to hear a little bit about kids and youth and families in this county, and we're going to even have some families on stage that are in the process of engaging with DHS, whether it be through foster or trying to adopt, and we're going to pray for those families. But I want to ask you, what does it look like to be available? A possibility for you might be Alaska or Guatemala or something else. But if Alaska or Guatemala is on your heart or comes on your heart, use the yellow card in your bulletin. Mark that you're interested. Put it in the offering. You'll get a call uh, in the next week or two with a little bit more information. You're not on the hook for $1,000. It's just a way to take a step. One of the things that we've wanted to do in every week of this series is to back up and whether we're talking about Youth for Christ or Safe Haven or Winchester Elementary or next week DHS or even this week with some of the mission trips and say, uh, these are just opportunities to take a step. What we want for ourselves is a posture of all of our life. Lord, where are you leading? So hopefully these are ways to explore how to respond to God's leading, but the bigger question is reorienting our entire life, our entire posture. Lord, where are you or where? Where are you at work, and how can I get involved there? 
So I'm going to close in prayer. We'll invite the worship team to come up and lead us. And then if you want more information about either of those trips, uh, just put it on the card and put it in the basket. Some of the missions team will be out in the lobby. And if you need your car fixed, Aaron might still be around for that also. Don't leave fast, Aaron. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the master craftsman, Lord, and that you make beautiful things out of scrap wood. We thank you, Lord, that uh, as much as we'd like to think we're great people, Lord, that you specialize in using weak people to do great things. Lord, would we uh, have our heart's desire that our weak lives might point to a great, great God and that you would be seen in us. Lord, as we prepare for the week that is coming ahead, the things that we know are coming and the things that are going to just totally surprise us, the things that are going to just knock us off our feet, Lord, would you tune our hearts and may we take steps to actively tune our hearts, Lord, to be attentive to you at work, in our workday, at home with our families, wherever the weekend takes us. Lord, and when our rhythm or our schedule is disrupted, help us to perk up even more. Lord, as we see that you've needed to take extraordinary means to interrupt our rhythm. Lord, I pray for those of us who have that spiritual do not disturb button on right now. Lord, put it in our hearts, Lord, to want to uncheck that. Put it in our hearts, Lord, to want to be available each day. Put it in our hearts, Lord, to desire more with you than we have now. Lord, to desire or to want to yield more fully. Lord, that that would be desirable. And for those of us here, Lord, who don't know if our names are written in heaven, Lord, put it on our hearts to ask a question. Put it on our hearts to express a need. Put it on our hearts, Lord, to beg you to make yourself clear. Thank you, Lord, that you do beautiful, beautiful, beautiful work with scrap pieces. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.